the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. The subconscious brain is like a huge memory bank whose function is to store and retrieve data. Its job is to ensure that you respond exactly the way you were programmed. Today's guest, Dr. Mike Dow, says that the subconscious brain has the power to make you healthier, wealthier, and happier, and that tapping into your subconscious brain is easy and effective. He's here today to talk about his technique that he says can change your life. Dr. Dow is a New York Times bestselling author who is a brain health, mental illness, relationship, addiction, and nutrition expert. He has hosted shows on TLC, VH1, and E, and he's part of Dr. Oz's core team of experts. Dr. Dow is a recurring guest co-host on The Doctors, and you've also seen him as LaToya Jackson's therapist on Owns My Life with LaToya and as The Bachelor's therapist on Freeform's Ben and Laura. He is the author of Your Subconscious Brain Can Change Your Life. Welcome, Dr. Dow. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So before we get into your work, I want to start off talking about you. What happened in your life that gave you the mission to help people heal their brain? Well, you know, what's so interesting about my journey uh, of brain health and really believing uh, in the brain itself, um, you know, my brother had a massive stroke when he was just 10 years old. He has a rare brain disease called Moya Moya disease. And uh, I was 15 at the time, and my father, who was a physician, um, had my brother take uh, a massive doses of omega-3s and all of these things um, that uh, people at the time said were snake oil. Um, and, you know, we really believed in my brother, and one doctor told my family that, you know, the stroke was so massive that we should just put my brother in a nursing home. Um, well, I can tell my tell you that today, even though my brother's stroke was massive, uh, my brother's independent, he walks, he drives, things that just shouldn't have uh, been possible given the size of his stroke. So, you know, I really started to believe in the power of hope, the power of neuroplasticity, um, uh, and I was really more interested in, in the way that food, nutrition, hope, psychology uh, rewired the brain. So I sort of started to go down this path of um, psychology and helping people, and I and I became a cognitive behavioral therapist. So that was sort of my first love in looking at the way um, uh, foods and omega-3s and amino acids change and rewire the brain. You know, I have a book. I wrote a, a book with my brother about stroke uh, recovery. I wrote the, uh, the book, uh, The Brain Fog Fix. But then I discovered hypnosis. And I have to tell you, the first time I experienced clinical hypnosis, I was just blown away. And I knew that this was a whole nother layer of tools that could take everything that I was doing in my private practice with people and patients, and, and it could help people to go to the next level, especially people who had problems or goals that um, were elusive, um, you know, anything from uh, physical problems, fibromyalgia, uh, migraines, irritable bowel syndrome, or, you know, things in their lives like um, building a business or, psych, you know, psych-oriented ones like uh, phobias. So, you know, I, I really was so excited to write this book, Your Subconscious Brain Can Change Your Life, because I believe that hypnosis and the power of our subconscious is truly potent. 
So, Doctor, I remember when I was growing up and, and we studied the brain and science, we had this belief that as you aged or if there was an injury, that that was pretty much it. It was degenerative and the brain would lose its function. But now, through the science, as you said, neuroplasticity and neuroscience, we're learning that we can heal the brain, create new pathways. So what does the science tell us about the ability to heal our brain? That's absolutely right. So decades ago, we really thought that, you know, after young adulthood, the brain stopped formulating uh, and creating new brain cells. We now know that that's not true, that even middle age and late adulthood, that we have the power to create new brain cells through neuroplasticity, through a novel environment. So challenging experiences, exercise, um, great foods, and, and, you know, even the power of hypnosis and the subconscious. You know, uh, one of the founders of modern hypnosis was a psychiatrist who had polio, and he he dealt with paralysis, and he taught himself how to walk again by putting himself in trance uh, via hypnosis, and he would visualize himself walking again, and that's how he taught himself how to walk again. And, you know, what's so interesting, especially because a lot of stroke survivors have neurofatigue, when you can see yourself doing something, and and then you can do it, um, you can create these new neural pathways, especially when uh, you, as a stroke survivor, have some brain cells that are dead. Or, by the way, we're all losing brain cells. You know, if you're an adult, our brains are all shrinking as adults a little bit, and we are losing brain cells. But guess what? We can grow brain cells by stimulating our brains, by challenging our brains, by learning new things, by playing memory games, right? So isn't it so exciting that we can take all of these tools from exercise, hypnosis, uh, foods, challenging experiences, even visiting, you know, I just visited Tokyo for the first time, creating a mental map of a new city in our brain. That actually creates these new brain cells. Um, and, And these new, challenging, novel experiences can really help to keep our brains healthy, happy, and actually look younger. And I think it's so important that we keep teaching this message. Uh, Recently, I made a presentation to a a local university to STEM students, to students that were um, involved in the science, technology, engineering, and math program. And I talked to them about the power of their thoughts. And, And when the presentation was over, this young woman came up to me and told me that she's been battling leukemia and that it's, it has come back and now she has to have a bone marrow transplant. And she said that I gave her another tool because she had no idea that her thoughts had anything to do with her healing. So I think uh, getting this message yeah. out there is so important. And what I'd like to, to just back up for a moment and give our listeners a, a real 101 on the brain, the different parts, the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. Can you describe those to us? Yeah, so... Uh, so the conscious is that part of you that is basically on the front burner during the day. Um, so what's really interesting about my book, um, if you turn into the front cover, you're going to see brain scans of mine. You're going to see a SPECT scan, which shows blood flow and activity. And you're also going to see an, an EEG, which uses electricity um, to show brain waves. And so you're actually going to see my own brain at rest. So you're going to see what my brain looks when it's using a conscious state. And then you're going to see my brain when it's using a subconscious brainwave or in a subconscious um, activated trance via hypnosis. So that conscious part of you, uh, I'm going to give you an example that can help a lot of people who've never experienced hypnosis understand what it feels like. So have you ever had that experience where you're driving home and you start thinking about something or worrying about something or planning something, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in your driveway and you think to yourself, oh, my gosh, I don't even remember driving home, <laughs> right? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> so, so in that instance, a lot of things that you learn consciously at first, if you know it really well, your subconscious can take it over. That's not true at first, but eventually that can be true. So if you play the piano or if you type or if you drive, eventually your subconscious can take that over. So driving is something that your subconscious actually took over and your conscious was on the front burner. So you were aware of what you were thinking of or worrying about or planning and your subconscious was actually taking care of you and your subconscious was taking care of the task of driving. So 
sometimes we have that split brain where we have these two tracks going on. Now, we always actually during the day have some sort of it, but we are usually aware of the conscious track because the conscious is on the front burner, the subconscious tends to be on the back burner. And those two flip only usually for most people at night because we tend to have theta brain waves as measured on an EEG at night when we dream. So when you use hypnosis, um, an EEG will show deep, slow theta brain waves, which are the same brain waves an EEG would show in a sleep study, for example, when you are dreaming in uh, rapid eye movement periods of sleep. So that is usually the only time unless you use hypnosis to create that same state and then the subconscious can then pop onto the front burner. So looking at the conscious, the subconscious and the unconscious, well I actually use the term subconscious and unconscious interchangeably. People in the field of hypnosis, some half, half of the hypnosis people use unconscious, half of them use subconscious. I prefer subconscious because I like it better. Um, and then in terms of brain structures, what you'll see in my brain, the subconscious tends to light up a couple different places. So you're going to see the prefrontal cortex lit up. So there's more blood flow and activity when you light up the prefrontal cortex. Um, also, you're going to see uh, lots of activity and blood flow in my basal ganglia, which is where a lot of dopamine is produced, a lot of that feel-good upping neurotransmitter. And then this is a really interesting part. Um, my eyes were closed during this. So you would think back in, in the back of my brain, in the occipital lobe, that that part of my brain should go, you know, dark. Right. Well, that part of my brain was lit up because I was visualizing something. Um, so that part of my brain was very, very active. Now that's really, really handy because what you can visualize, you are actually tricking the brain into thinking it is creating an experience. And let me tell you how that could be handy for people. If you have a phobia, um, I, I, I just filmed an episode of the Dr. Oz show and there was a woman who had a traumatic experience where she was attacked by a bird and she has a bird phobia. Um, so of course now she avoids birds. So I helped her to conquer her phobia by visualizing this first step in conquering her fear of birds. Now, if she can do that with hypnosis, brain scans have shown that if you just quote, imagine it in a conscious brain state, your brain doesn't think that you're actually doing it. But if you use hypnosis, your brain is actually tricked into thinking that it's conquering that fear, that you're actually encountering that bird or that plane or whatever it is that you fear or public speaking, whatever it is. So it's really interesting that you can use the skill um, and, and looking at these different parts of the brain, the subconscious versus the conscious. How long does it take to make a lasting change utilizing that technique? If somebody is a high hypnotizable, um, we can create change in about 10 minutes. Um, other people who aren't as hypnotizable are going to need about four to eight sessions. Um, you know, the good news about my book is it comes with audio hypnosis tracks uh, with my voice. So you just listen to the track over and over again. Um, and after like the sixth, seventh, eighth time, everyone will start to feel the benefits. Some people say that after the first time, oh my gosh, what was that? That was really intense. And I, I you know, my thoughts just started to change because, you know, the other thing, our subconscious tends to be very suggestible, like a child, you know, uh, before we uh, develop that adolescent that talks back, the dominant brainwave of, of children that believe in fairy tales and have imaginary friends, that very suggestible, idealistic, optimistic part of ourselves. We know that the brainwave of children is theta, which is the same brainwave that we can generate by using trance and hypnosis. Um, so we know that we can use that brainwave um, to, to, to do all sorts of magical things, um, like plant positive suggestions for people struggling. You know, you're talking about thoughts, those negative thoughts with somebody, let's say, dealing with cancer or let's say depression. Um, there's a really fascinating study from the psychiatry department at Ohio State University where they measured the immune system via white blood cell count, and they taught medical students 
uh, hypnosis, well, half of them, and the other half they did not, um, while they were going through their exams. Um, and they found that the white blood cells in the hypnosis group improved. So it actually improves your immune system. So that's really potent for cancer survivors. And in fact, hypnosis is now being used at prestigious cancer centers like MD Anderson. You know, they're using this procedure called hypnosedation. So a procedure like a uh, assist uh, on a breast, a cancer assist, uh, a mass um, that would have required general anesthesia. They are now using hypnosis with light sedation, um, and they're finding that people are recovering better with less inflammation. Um, so there's really a, a really useful tool um, in terms of immune system thoughts, uh, even physical recovery using the power of our subconscious brains. I had a conversation once with Dr. Bruce Lipton, and he shared with me the results of a study that, to this day, they still amaze me. He had said that there were two groups of cancer patients, and one group was given chemotherapy, the actual drug, and the other group was given a placebo but told that they were receiving chemotherapy. The group that never received anything more than saline solution exhibited the side effects of someone undergoing chemotherapy. And I always thought that that just really illustrated how powerful our thoughts and our beliefs and our mind is. And if we could learn how to harness that for good, how it can really change our life. Absolutely. I mean, uh, the power of our beliefs are truly potent. And, you know, what's really interesting about all of the studies, the research of people who have gone into spontaneous remission, you know, these really miraculous cases of people with stage three and four cancer who shouldn't have uh, went into remission. Uh, they have a lot of things in common, but one of them is this really optimistic state of mind. So isn't it really also so interesting that they believed that they would get better? Mm -hmm. So, you know, having that negative state of mind, we know what that does to the immune system. So isn't it so interesting that having a positive belief, you know, we know that the placebo effect is a belief that if you take saline solution, you're going to have some symptoms. But by the, uh, you know, on the other hand, if you have a belief that you are going to get better, you can actually supercharge your immune system. And yes, you will actually tend to get better. Earlier, you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. For listeners who may not know what this is, what is the basic premise of this treatment and how does it approach what someone's going through? The first step of my protocol in the book starts with cognitive behavioral therapy. So I have people identify these seven pitfall thought patterns. So things like polarized thinking, that's black or white thinking, pessimistic thinking, so that's that catastrophic worst case scenario thinking, uh, pol uh, personalization, where you always are blaming yourself for things going wrong, uh, paralysis analysis, which is that kind of ruminative stewing, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, so there are seven of those thought patterns. So once you identify the thought patterns in your head, and these are the thought patterns that scientists, doctors have identified that people with anxiety and depression tend to struggle with, uh, you can, first of all, know that that is, excuse me, <clears throat> that that is contributing to your negative state of mind. And once you know that, uh, then we can target that uh, via uh, hypnosis. So traditional cognitive behavioral therapy would have you elicit contrary evidence, looking at all of the times in your life that prove that negative thought wrong. Um, I take it to the next level because I help you to use hypnosis to help you to see the event. So let's say you're having a pessimistic thought, a catastrophic thought of, oh my gosh, this, you know, uh, I, I'm going to do so poorly on tomorrow's presentation at work. I'm probably going to get fired and lose my job. So, you know, I'm going to help you see all of the times that you just did fantastically <laughs> at work as the contrary evidence uh, that will prove that thought wrong so that you can stay in that positive state of mind, uh, really filling yourself with that sense of confidence uh, and, and joy and, and purpose in what you do. Um, so it's really important to put these tools together because we also know that when you combine cognitive behavioral therapy with hypnosis, the, the effects are magnified. With the understanding that there's always a place for medication and it does have an important role, 
Do you think people end up being medicated for anxiety or depression or even using the wrong type of therapy when they really need cognitive behavioral therapy? I think in America there is a tendency uh, towards over medication. So, you know, when we really comb through the data, uh, medication, especially the antidepressant class and, of course, the benzodiazepines are not as effective um, as people think. You know, they certainly are effective for some people. Um, but, you know, when we look at just the, the modality of the treatment and how it's administered, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy obviously requires you to attend weekly, hour-long sessions and that, you know, for some people is either um, inconvenient or time-consuming or, you know, there are some people who just therapy is just not in their comfort zone. And, of course, popping a pill can be um, more inexpensive both for them and their insurance company. Um, so I think a lot of people just say, oh, I'll just take this pill. But when we look at it, um, you know, in terms of the benzodiazepines, um, that tends to make anxiety worse in the long term. Um, the antidepressants, it's really, they're really not that effective for a, uh, a really large percentage of people who do take them. But they are effective for some. Um, and I really believe that you know, they should be reserved for the people who have uh, tried other things first because they are not a magic bullet. You know, when we look across different areas of medicine, uh, they are uh, a notoriously um, l low, um, the efficacy is, 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 is really uh, low. You know, when we look at something like, oh, here's a, here's a bacterial infection, we know that there's a 99% chance that this drug is going to cure that bacteria. And, you know, those rates are not the same uh, when it comes to depression and anxiety. And I think we have this idea that, oh, well, there's probably a 99% chance that it will, and that's just not true. Um, so I think that we really should be looking at food. We now know that the Mediterranean diet, um, the first human study was published showed that the Mediterranean diet can treat people with moderate to even major depression. Um, so we know that diet plays a role. We know that your thoughts play a role uh, because cognitive behavioral therapy can also treat moderate depression. So I think we're looking at um, lifestyle, you know, exercise and study after study um, outperforms prescription antidepressants. So I think we have to look at all of these things as a whole and really um, look at what are the things. And of course, mental health is also so complex. You know, is it your relationship? Is it your lack of exercise? Is it the way you talk to yourself? Is it that voice? Um, your father's voice who is very negative and hard on you and and how do we how do we really tell the difference you know it's it's sometimes a lot more complex than a than a bacterial infection where it's a, a very cause and effect linear effect the book is your subconscious brain can change your life overcome obstacles heal your body and reach any goal with a revolutionary technique if you'd like to get more information about dr dow and his work you can visit DrMikeDow.com. That's D-R, DrMikeDow.com. Doctor, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? I hope that people understand that their subconscious brains are truly potent. And if you can learn how to harness it, you can really do some incredible, magical things. And what your subconscious brain can see, your conscious can help you to manifest and create. Dr. Dow, thank you so much for joining us and for educating us on the power of the brain and, and how we can use the brain instead of letting it use us. This is life-changing information, and I'm so glad that you were here to share it with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. 
If you are a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctor told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to Forever young.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four, everyoung.org. Hello, doctor. Hi, business administrator. Hey there, manufacturers. Have you ever heard of utility cost recovery? The U.S. House Ways and Means Committee says that in just a single year, public utility companies overbilled their customers $19 billion. This is Vito Mazza of Wintegrity Solutions. What if I told you that utility-based taxes, tariffs, and state fees fluctuate constantly, but our utilities hardly ever adjust your bill to reflect these errors? It's true. You may have been overcharged thousands of dollars and would have no way of knowing. That's where Wintegrity comes in. Our nationwide team specializes in not only auditing taxes, tariffs, and fees, but also locating billing errors that can add up to, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you spend more than $2,000 per month on any individual utility bill, electricity, telecom, water, gas, or sewage, it's time for a free forensic audit. Let us help you recover years of overpayments with our 87% success rate, the odds are in your favor. Call us at 1-800-850-5110 or email Vito at Wintegrity.Solutions. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Recently, I was flipping through a toy catalog, shopping for a gift for a friend's child, when I stumbled upon an item that had brought hours of enjoyment to my children. It's a square box that has different shapes cut out into each side with matching pieces. The goal of the toy is for children to fit each piece into its corresponding hole, thus learning to recognize shapes and how to fit like things together. My boys spent hours placing the various shapes into their respective holes. Most times, the pieces fit together with ease, But on occasion, they would work tirelessly trying to make the wrong piece fit into the wrong hole. An oval in a circle, a square in a triangle, a rectangle in a square. As I reminisced about them sitting on the floor working at this task, I began to think about how this activity mimics what we do throughout our life, work to make the pieces fit. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Sometimes our choices fit perfectly, but other times, no matter how much energy we expend, they just don't fit. How many times have you been in a friendship or romance that didn't work out? In most situations when the breakup occurred, anger, heartbreak, and disappointment soon followed. Then blame. Someone must be at fault. Someone was wrong. You tried so hard, so why couldn't it survive? Instead of being consumed with anger and resentment, Did you ever stop and think that maybe, just maybe, it was simply a wrong fit and that no one is to blame? Like the pieces in the toy, each of us has an individual design derived from life experiences. We are each as unique as a circle, square, triangle, or octagon. When we make the right match, everything fits perfectly. But when we have the wrong pieces, it doesn't work, no matter how hard we push or on what angle. 
It would be ridiculous to say something is wrong with the circle because it didn't fit in the square. We recognize the shapes as being different, so why do we make those claims about people? Why do we assign blame to a person and then spend the rest of our life being angry and resentful, thinking about what could have been? Perhaps a new perspective would be to view each of us as the pieces of the toy, unique with our own characteristics, perfect in our design, but not always a fit, no matter how hard we try to squeeze it together and how much we want it. Perhaps looking at life experiences in this way may make it easier to let go and stop assigning blame. It may enable us to forgive and move forward. So the next time you experience the loss of a valued relationship, rather than being consumed with anger and bitterness, just release it. Try to view yourself and the other person as shapes, different from each other, but with their own purpose, beauty, and value. Perfect in their individuality, but they just don't fit. Thanks for spending these minutes with me. For more information and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Everyone wants someone to love and spend time with, and searching for an ideal partner is a natural human tendency. Just about everyone dates at some point, yet few really understand what they're doing or how to get the best results. Today's guest, Dr. Stan Tackin, author of Wired for Dating, offers powerful tips to help you find a compatible mate and go on to create a loving relationship. Dr. Tatkin is a clinician, researcher, teacher, and developer of a psychobiological approach to couple therapy. His other books include Wired for Love and Your Brain on Love. Welcome, Dr. Tatkin. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. So, Doctor, just about everyone wants to find love, but for many, it's difficult to do. Sometimes it even seems impossible. So, what is the main problem that people who are dating experience? Well, I think <laughs> mostly it's fatigue, uh, not wanting to date, feeling very uncomfortable, feeling dispirited. Uh, but I think there are most people that would dread dating, mm-hmm. I, I, especially uh, people who are a little bit older and having to return to the dating scene. It seems, uh, you know, that there are many ways to find people now online, of course, but it isn't any easier, I think. I think in some ways it's a little bit harder because people are not introducing each other as the way they used to do. Mm-hmm. Where you'd meet people at work, you'd meet people at a party, people down the street. Uh, you know, we tended to meet those who lived closest to us. Now we could meet somebody who's across the country or even in another, another country together and then decide whether we're going to uh, get together and meet and so on. So it's, 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 it's a different world in dating for sure. Well, and, and, you know, taking it a step further about this different world, I am divorced. And so I'm back in that, I hate to say older age person, but yeah, doing right. it again. I mean, you know, the thought of doing it again after 20 some odd years of marriage, it's scary and it is a different world. So what is the secret to building a successful relationship, especially for those of us that have gone through a failed one? I think rather than look for the person first, Think about what the relationship should be. We really must start to rearrange our thinking now when it comes to pair bonding. And the old way, which is to, uh, and this is nothing wrong with this, uh, to be, of course, you're, you're going to be attracted to somebody. You're going to be drawn to them. Uh, this is not about making lists and uh, and checking them to make sure that everybody fits the list. But organize in one's mind how the relationship should be. And in this sense, think of it as a two-person system. Good for me, good for that person. In other words, should we put the relationship first? Is that the relationship I want? Uh, Should it be a relationship where we tell each other everything, where we have each other's backs, where we protect each other in public and private, where the go-to people. Um, I like to think of couples as being together based on a a mutual agreement and, and a basic interdependency Uh, to survive, right? We are in the foxhole together. We require that we uh, are experts on each other so that as we move through time together, we are in a system that we can absolutely trust. So 
envision the kind of relationship it should be. If that person does not see it the way you do, uh, if you if there are deal breakers there in terms of lifestyle, in terms of, of what you believe in and where you want to point to the future, then pass that relationship and move on to the next. But think about the relationship. And that's, I think, really important because when we're young and, and we meet someone and we have that romantic notion that this is it and everything will just occur naturally. A, a, a true right. relationship just happens. But there's a lot of work that needs to go into it and a lot of thought. A work and thought, I, although in the beginning everything is work, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't know each other. It takes a good year to really get to know somebody well enough to know whether they're someone you want to commit to. But the the a, a good relationship, one that we call secure functioning, one that is fair and just and, and sensitive, that's based on mutuality, should not be so hard. Uh, the whole purpose of having these kind of relationships is to make life easier, not harder, so that we take things off the table that would scare us. Mm-hmm. that would make us concerned, that would use resources, such as will the relationship exist tomorrow or am I, uh, am I the most important? Is the relationship the most important thing? Things like this people agree on because it makes life easier and then they stick to the, these agreements because they, bec- they are principles. Um, they're things that we believe in that allow us to be fully resourced and to do things we ordinarily wouldn't do. In other words, To be together as a team properly, working together like cop car partners, um, means uh, to uh, make life easier so we can succeed at what we want to succeed in. It's not about hard. It's about about making agreements and being there devoted to, uh, to our principles. Doctor, you believe that it's not necessary for us to search for a soulmate, and yet that's what most people do. We search for that elusive soulmate. So why do you believe this is a bad practice? Well, you said it yourself, Joan. You said elusive. Uh (laughs) I mean, if it's so elusive, (laughs) that's a depressing thought. Uh, Not only am I going to have to go out and date a lot and be with people that I don't really want to spend time with, but that elusive person may never even come into my field. It it isn't true. We, we, We only pair bond by recognition. We don't pair bond with strangers. So anybody we actually will continue with for a long period is someone we, we recognize, somebody who's familiar. And that means they have the potential for us to feel like they're our soulmate. But there are many people around that we will recognize that we could be in relationship with. There is no perfect, right? Mm-hmm. There's just good enough. And so this idea of soulmate, it, it, you know, if it's taken wrongly, can be a very depressing idea. I, I don't think there really is such a thing. Uh, it's a feeling. It's something when we're with someone, we start to say, boy, you know, Joan, you are my soulmate. But I don't, if I try to go and look for someone um, uh, who's a soulmate, but not someone named Joan, boy, am I going to have a hard time. Doctor, why do so many people continuously pick the wrong person? They're not actually picking the wrong person. This is an interesting thing. Because of what I said that we pick by recognition, we we pick correctly. Nature doesn't care whether we have a long-term relationship. It just cares about procreation. And so we do pick right people, but it feels wrong because we still don't know how to handle that feeling or that experience that comes with that person. So let's say I keep picking alcoholics. Well, alcoholism is a feature of something, uh, but I recognize this person. I still don't know how to handle them or an angry person or a person who isn't telling the truth. This is a familiar thing to me, Mm -hmm. but I still don't know how to deal with that person. And I think that's the bigger problem. Our picker is correct initially, but then we need our social network to tell us whether we are with uh, someone who fits into our, our culture or doesn't. You know, we want our friends and family, our social network to sniff this person out and to sniff us out Mm -hmm. because we're on drugs in the beginning, right? Right, We're infatuated. Yeah. So how do we break that pattern of familiarity? We can't. If you pick somebody that's too much of a stranger, there's another danger of feeling homesick, of feeling too far away. This person's too far away of what I know and what I'm comfortable with. So there's the close but not too close, uh, familiar but not too familial, and stranger but not too stranger-ish. And I think as we get older, we expand a little bit more into the world of strangerness. Um, In the beginning, we we, we really kind of stick it close to home. The book is Wired for Dating, How Understanding Neurobiology and Attachment Style Can Help You Find Your Ideal Mate. If you would like to get more information about the book or Dr. Tatkin and his work, you can visit 
DanTatkin.com. Dr. Tatkin, in our final moments, why do you say that dating is forever? Because we have to be girlfriend and boyfriend. That's the juice. That is what drives everything. Uh, husband and wife, nice. That's very nice. But it, it, it implies certain other roles. And mother and father definitely implies different roles. And not as sexy. I think the girlfriend and boyfriend have to always exist. And that means that we see each other as girlfriend and boyfriend. We, we still behave that way. And we still do things to create that exciting, dopamine-driven love that is addictive. We know how to do that. We know the skills in which to enrich ourselves with that. And we maintain that. Because without it, then we begin to look for others or we begin to feel very lonely. So always keep the girlfriend and boyfriend or the girlfriend girlfriend, for that matter, boyfriend boyfriend, depending on who you're with. But that's that's the the message. Doctor, thank you so much for being here with us today and for providing information to help us find and build a lasting relationship. As I said, everyone's searching for love and by practicing some of these tips, hopefully we can find it. And good luck to you, Joan, in your search (laughs) as well. Thank you, Dr. Tackin. We'll be right back. Do you know someone with an autism spectrum disorder like Asperger's syndrome? Hi, I'm Gail Gruenberg, CPOCD, Chief Executive Organizer of Let's Get Organized. As a professional organizing firm, we help clients organize their lives as well as their homes. We specialize in serving young families and clients who are chronically disorganized. We focus on the whole person, not just clutter. Clients on the autism spectrum are very special people who may struggle with anxiety, stress, or depression, which can affect the ability to organize. Like for anyone else, creating structure supports a more predictable life. People on the autism spectrum may need systems that are stringently maintained in order to avoid jarring surprises. Some important systems to put in place are a personal care routine, including exercise and a sleep schedule, meal times, a time management mechanism for keeping track of appointments and tasks, and a goal-setting strategy governed by learning styles, sensory preferences, and emotional attachment. If you're challenged by disorganization and are ready to accept outside help, call me. I'm Gail Gruenberg, and I can help bridge the gap between wanting to get organized and actually doing it. Call me at 201-364-6833 or visit my website at lgorganized.com. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really gonna get you that far. If you want a result, then you're gonna wanna work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting, but let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Allison Carmen, a business consultant, life coach, and author of The Gift of Maybe, offering hope and possibility in uncertain times. Allison's podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, provides simple tools to reduce daily stress and worry. Allison is here today to discuss breaking bad habits. Welcome, Allison. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Joan. So, Allison, many of us have a bad habit or two (laughs) that we want to break. And if we want to break these habits so badly, what do you believe it is that keeps us from doing so? Well, the thing about habits is that, of course, some of us have good habits. 
But the ones that bother us the most are things that we look at as bad habits. And where a habit usually starts is that it gives us something. It alleviates some of our suffering. It'll give us some pleasure. And that's where the habit starts to own us because it gives us some relief. But over time, when it's a bad habit or a habit that doesn't move us forward in our life, it starts over time to harm us. And because it's been with us so long, it's really tough to break. And even just recently, I've tried to break the habit of drinking coffee. And people might think, oh, coffee is not that bad. But for me, it makes me feel a little run down. And every morning I'll wake up and I'll be like, today's the day that I'm going to break this habit. But I notice if my allergies are not that great or I want to be in a better mood or I want something to shift me, I'll go right towards the coffee because it's an immediate release. And that's what happens. These bad habits that we have, it's like an impulse because we just want to alleviate something that's bothering us. We just want to move past our suffering. And so we'll reach for something really quickly, but what happens over time, it might not be beneficial and it might be holding us back in a way. And so it's very important if we're able to look at where our habits are from and maybe we could incorporate new types of habits and look within ourselves to understand ourselves more because we all have the potential to make different choices. And so these choices will lead us to moving forward with our lives, achieving our goals, and allowing ourselves to have more space within ourselves to create better habits down the road. Allison, especially in the beginning of the year, you know, that was a few months ago, we start these resolutions and we decide, I'm going to change all of these habits. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and that. And we start off with a bang. We are really focused and we do a great job with it. And then somewhere along the way, we slide back into our old patterns. Is there something that you can offer to us that can help us break it in a way that lasts? Yes. Well, habits, I find habits, they're they're always challenging to break again because they're giving us something. They're giving us an immediate pleasure or immediate release. But like we, we talked about over time, they could be harmful. And the most in, one of the most important things about breaking a habit is it creating an awareness of why we have this habit. And it's so important to look at that. And like I talked about when I was trying to stop drinking coffee, to understand why are we doing it? What is this habit giving us? And once we realize that, we're kinder to ourselves, we're more compassionate, but we also understand ourselves. To understand ourselves is often the beginning of making a change. The the second thing that's important about breaking the habit is finding other things to replace that habit. So I find sometimes, for me, it wasn't, oh, I have to stop drinking the coffee immediately. It's what else could I incorporate in my life to help me move forward? So I would work out a little bit more. I would find different drinks that were more nurturing for my body, like kombucha or bone broth. So what what happens if you could rise up within yourself and find things that are more beneficial, sometimes it actually crowds out the bad habit. So I find sometimes it's easier to incorporate more positive things in our life. And then over time, we might look at that habit that we want to break and it might be easier to let it go. But the most important thing I find about breaking a habit is cultivating more strength within ourselves. And I know sometimes people, they could do yoga or they could meditate, but whatever creates this stillness and this inner strength, that's what's really going to help us the most because what a habit is, it's giving us something in the outside world to try to make ourselves feel better. But the more we cultivate that inner strength, we could feel better without any outer stimuli. And then if we have that okayness within ourselves, we're less likely to reach something outside of ourselves to make ourselves feel better. So the three most important things we could do is create awareness, find new habits that help enhance our well-being, that feel that make us feel better, and hopefully they could crowd out that habit that was harming us. And number three is to cultivate inner strength, to know that we'll be okay no matter what, which gives us more space within ourselves because habits are like reactions, reactions to things we don't like, reactions to alleviate our suffering really quickly. But when we create that inner stillness, we create more responsiveness in our lives. There's more space within ourselves to make different choices and to know we're okay and know that life has hope and possibility. And then 
after that, we'll end up doing things that nurture us, that move ourselves forward. And I find that we could find more joy and success through these steps and give up bad habits and create more good habits in our lives. Allison, for the times when we do slip back into those old patterns, is there something that you can say to someone listening right now to help that person stay on track and to keep the okayness? Well, you know, I love this idea of maybe, and what I usually say is maybe everything is still okay. And what that does, it gives me pause. Because sometimes when we reach for that old habit, we reach that thing we know might not be the best thing for us. It's because we're feeling shaky on the inside and we're worried that we're not going to have the life that we want. But if we realize that life has maybe and life is always filled with hope and possibility, we're going to have more space and more patience and more responsiveness to make different choices in our lives. Hope will always carry us forward and uncertainty is our best friend. And if we're willing to create the space within us, we'll be able to change our old habits and create new habits for more success and more joy in the future. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Allison and her work, or if you'd like to listen to her podcast, 10 Minutes to Less Suffering, you can visit allisoncarmen.com. And as always, to hear more from Allison, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Allison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. It's pretty amazing when you consider that seven years ago, we didn't have the treatments we have now. We cure 80% of children with cancer. Go back 50 years, we were curing 20 to 30%. This is the miracle story of modern medicine. We understand what makes this cancer tick. And of course, without donors from around the world, this just couldn't happen. And there's one thing we're focused on, and that's beating this thing. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.